Um, I'm going to read from Mark chapter 5, 21 to 23, and 35 to 43. When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. While Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Overhearing what they said, Jesus told him, Don't be afraid, just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, Why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. After he had put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and he said to her, Talita kum, which means, little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. At this they were completely astonished. He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told them to give her something to eat. Thanks so much for reading that, Vic, and hello, and good morning to you all again. I'm just going to move that over there. I think I can just about do that. Oh, it is really really good to be here this morning. It's good to get out. This really, this last year really has been the year your wheelie bin went out more than you did, hasn't it? It really has been absolutely bonkers. But I'm so glad to be here to see lots of familiar faces and to be able to talk to you a little bit about uh, well, not so much about Youthscape, but about young people and about reaching out beyond the church. I guess if I've got a message this morning, it's about thinking beyond the walls of the church and thinking about the community beyond us. Just before we get into that, let's just, we've read from Mark chapter 5, and it's worth, I think, just, it's a familiar story. In fact, it's a story that also is recorded in Matthew and Luke, but it's worth just getting the nuts and bolts of the story clear in our heads. So Jairus is a synagogue leader, an important man. His daughter is seriously ill. She's dying. He comes to Jesus. He pleads for her, him to, to go and come and heal his daughter. Jesus agrees. On the way in the story, we didn't actually read this. He's waylaid by an amazing woman of faith. There's an incredible encounter that he has. Uh, and then by the time he gets to Jairus' house, the little girl has died. 
And Jesus goes in. He takes only Peter, James, and John and the parents with him. And then there's this amazing moment, Talitha Kum. He, he calls to her and she's restored back to life. And it's, it's, it's just a, a totally astonishing story. So that's what we're going to look at. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to dip into that today. And I hope that some of the moments and some of the principles in that story are going to feel really applicable to you and I here in Luton, whether you're here in the church or, or watching online. By the way, I'm looking at you, but I'm also looking at the brilliant Sam there, who's our camera person. Thank you, Sam. You're a young person. How old are you, Sam? 13. You're doing a fantastic job. Well done. So I'm looking at you, Sam. Uh, So what I really want to talk about is how fundamental it is to reach out as a church. It's part of the DNA. It's not an add-on. It's not a nice-to-have. It is the fundamental DNA of what it means to be a church, to reach out, to connect, to serve beyond the church. If you don't do that, then we're nothing more than a members club. That's all we become if we don't see beyond our own walls. It's part of the very DNA. I might even say it like this. If you're not serving as a church, you're dying as a church. It's as fundamental as that. It reminds me watching some, uh, we've all been watching more Netflix than we should have, haven't we? But some nature program, I came across the whale shark the other day. Now, the whale shark is one of a number of creatures who must always keep moving. It can never stop because it breathes by water running across its gills. So it can never, literally, day or night, or night, I guess, if you're in the bottom of the sea, uh, it can never stop moving. It has to move. That's what it means. And if it stops moving, it dies. If you stop serving as a church... You're dying as a church. Back in the 1960s, the greatest social activist of our time, Martin Luther King, who was also, and I'm sure you're aware of this, an amazing pastor and preacher. He said this of the 1960s, the church in the 1960s, but I think it's prescient and applicable to us here today in 2021. He says this, if today's church does not recapture the sacrificial spirit of the early church, it will lose its authenticity, forfeit the loyalty of millions, and be dismissed as an irrelevant social club with no meaning for the 20th century. Every day I meet young people whose disappointment with the church has turned into outright disgust. And I... Those words, working with young people, those words resonate with me here, now, in Luton in 2021. He's saying something important. So let's dig into this story, shall we? And the first bit of this story in Mark 5, the first person I want you to notice in this story is Jairus himself, the father because he, he starts this story, but he is so significant because if Jairus had not done something, then there would be no story. Just think about it like that. Jairus, he can't fix his daughter himself. He doesn't know how to make her well, but he still does what he can. He comes to Jesus. 
If it wasn't for Jairus, there is literally no Mark 5. There's a statistic. Another child dies in first century Israel. So Jairus is critical to this story. And he does what he can. He comes to Jesus. So many, uh, we, we sort of mentioned this in our interview, so many people I meet who, who are thinking about stepping into youth ministry sort of say, well, I don't know, I, I, I don't know whether it's for me. I can't, I'm not sure I'd be able to relate to young people. I'm not sure whether I know anything about what young people listen to. And as I said, if you're, if you're 21 years old, you're out of date. So listen, you've got nothing to lose if you're an oldie like me. Just and, and sometimes when I'm talking to people like that, I say, can you just show up once a week for youth club? Well, yeah, I could do that. Great. Do something. Jairus does something. And you say, well, of course he does something. He's her father. He loves her. But that's the point, isn't it? This story is rooted in love. This story, this action, everything that happens comes out of love out of this man saying, I'm going to do something for this young child, my child. I love her. Ministry always starts, real ministry always starts rooted in love, in noticing. And I think one of the things we have to do, just I'm just going to speak about myself. Life is so hectic, isn't it? You stop noticing others around you if you're not careful. You're too busy. I've got to watch Netflix. I've got to cook for the family. I've got to go to Sainsbury's. I've got to go to work. We've got to fix the toilet. You know, our lives are busy. And and in a way, we can design out of our lives ever noticing anyone in need around us in this town. We can just begin to be closed in. And, and I suppose one of the things, one of the, one of the few upsides of the pandemic, I think, has been it has reconnected many of us with the needs in our community. Our eyes have been opened. And it's shameful, actually, that it's taken a pandemic to do that for me and for some of us. But our, we have seen need and we've responded. And we've got to build on that. The love, the compassion that we have seen in this last year is the root of this story, and it's the root of the church in action. It comes, it happens in this church when we care so much, not about ourselves and even those within the church, but about this place that we find ourselves living in. When those statistics become real people and real things that they're having to deal with, that's the start of this story. And, uh, uh, and, And notice too with Jairus, by the way, there is a cost. How many you thought about this? But there's a cost to what Jairus does. Jairus is a synagogue leader. He's a senior part of the establishment. He's got the biggest house in the area. He's part of the establishment who, remember, are totally opposed to Jesus. They already see him as a rabble rouser, as a rebel. They want to put him down. They say he's working through the, through the devil. And so all of the establishment is already opposed to Jesus. And Jairus is part of that. In coming publicly to Jesus, in getting on his knees, it says, before Jesus, Jairus is risking all of that. We don't actually know what happened to him. The story doesn't tell us that. But it's quite possible 
he loses his role, his position, because he would be thrown out. He was, he was joining Jesus. He was going to the very person they were opposed to. So for Jairus to dare to go to Jesus publicly risks his comfort, his lifestyle, his position, his respect from his peers, all of it's on the line. But he's prepared to do that because there is always a cost to serving God. I'm not just talking about time and money and having to do something on it. Of course, there's all of that. But ministry is messy. Ministry is difficult. People don't get fixed overnight. And you meet people who are different to you, culturally different and practically different. And you have to adapt and compromise. It's costly to reach out. It's messy. I know that with youth work. You fill a church with young people and uh, uh, from around the area, suddenly, you know, there's... There's broken this and there's crazy that and there's coke stains on the carpet and the church is up in arms. It's messy to serve. There's a cost when you serve. So that's Jairus. But let's just move on in the story. I've been told, by the way, I've definitely got to be finished by an hour. Okay, that's that's what I've been told. But it'll be, I'll be taken off in an hour. That's Bad news for those of you stuck here. Great news for those of you at home. Just go make a coffee if at any point you think you need to. Uh, I'm not going to be an hour. Don't worry. So um, let's, let's move on. The next bit of the story, verse 39. Uh, Jesus is uh, sort of waylaid by this amazing woman of faith. And we haven't got time to talk about her, but she's absolutely remarkable. Uh, but at the end of that... Some people come with the news, this devastating news. Do you see it in verse 39? Your daughter is dead. Why bother the teacher anymore? Your daughter is dead. Why bother the teacher anymore? So this is devastating. But can you see what's actually happening here? They bring news, but they also sneakily add an opinion You see that? Your daughter is dead. And then they tell Jairus what he should do. They say, basically, in that case, this isn't going to work. Forget it. There are always going to be people, when you start reaching out, when you start trying to do something beyond the walls of the church, there are always going to be people who are going to say, it isn't going to work. It's going to be a desire. Don't bother don't go any further. I, I have, as a youth worker, on many occasions, I've had parents, I've sat in parents' houses, and they've told me, in front of their kids, you don't want to waste your time with this one. You'll never get anywhere with him. I've heard that. I've heard all kinds of people say that about young people. It's not worth it. You won't, you'll never get anywhere. There are always people who will tell you you can't reach out and make a difference. You can't see someone's lives change. It's too difficult. Your daughter's dead. It's too much. It's not worth going on. And notice, by the way, there's so much going on in this sentence. Notice how they choose to describe Jesus in this sentence. Your daughter is dead. Why bother the teacher anymore? It's kind of interesting that of all the words they choose to describe Jesus, they choose in a way the smallest one. Have you noticed that? Of course, Jesus was a teacher, but he was so much more than that. And yet, if he's a teacher, 
If that's all Jesus is, it's like they're just squeezing Jesus into this small box. If he's a teacher, then yeah, he can't do anything. But remember, we already know, this is Mark 5, we've had Mark 1 to 4, we already know Jesus is not just a teacher, he's a miracle worker. So that sentence doesn't work quite so well when you swap that in, doesn't it? Don't bother, your daughter is dead, don't bother the miracle worker anymore. Huh? No, bother the miracle. A miracle worker is exactly who you need at this moment. So it's like they've, they've just managed to sneak in this, this way of producing Jesus. And I think that's what happens when we lose faith in reaching out and the difference we can make. It's not to do with the enormity of the challenge. It's to do with the smallness of how we see Jesus. And our challenge is not to just somehow figure some grander scheme of what we're going to do. Our challenge is to start with a big enough view of Jesus that we know he can do something about what we're trying to do. Jesus, the teacher, yes, but Jesus, the miracle worker. I know who I need on my, uh, you know, to be following in, in Luton right now. Jesus, the miracle worker. And so, so Jesus, of course, fortunately does not take any notice of of any of that. He doesn't allow this to stop him. God doesn't write people off. Even in this case, this girl is dead, but she's not written off. And so, sorry, I think I said verse 39 before. We got to verse 39. Let's come to the next bit. This is the bit. Okay, guys, if if you're looking at your Bible, this is is the phrase I want to resonate in your minds this week. This is what happens. Jesus arrives at the house and he says, you notice this, she's not dead, she's sleeping. This is super profound. Jesus is not saying that they've made a mistake. Okay, he's not saying, guys, I've got here now, there's been an embarrassing mistake. The girl isn't really dead, she's just asleep. No, the girl is dead, right? Jesus is not contradicting reality. The girl is dead. He's just talking about a bigger reality. A bigger reality. The reality is the girl is dead, but there's a bigger reality which is called the kingdom. And in the kingdom, death is overcome. In the kingdom, poverty and injustice and alienation and brokenness disappear. In the kingdom, there's new life. And so, yes, The girl is dead. But no, the girl in the kingdom is sleeping. That's all it is when you see it as the kingdom. Jesus sees what's there, but he also knows what's coming. And we, this is why we're here, is it not? We don't go to Luton to serve simply because we think a bit of our help is going to make a difference. It might, but really our hope is that the shards of light that are the kingdom are beginning to break through into Luton. And we're bringing hope and a new reality that's bigger than racial injustice, that's bigger than climate disaster, that's bigger than poverty, that's bigger than brokenness and poor mental health, that's bigger than all of those things. It's a kingdom of light and hope and truth. And there is no more death in that kingdom. She's not dead, Jesus says. She's sleeping. 
And when I see young people, I I remember this verse. They're not dead. They're sleeping. When I see young people that are broken, when I see Luton that's broken, it's not dead. It's sleeping. The kingdom is coming. I remember being taken into a, asked to go into a school in Luton. And I was asked to meet this lad who was considered to be the most dangerous and difficult lad in the school. His reputation went before him. He was in year nine, first of all. And if you're a teacher, you know, you're not in year nine, are you, Sam? Yeah, exactly my point. Year nine are the most difficult, troubled year in a secondary school. I think, Sam, no, you're a brilliant example of that. This lad was, he was violent. He threw chairs around. He attacked people. He was feared by students and, and actually by staff. And I had a call. I said, would you come in and meet him and see what you can do? Okay. So I went in and I was terrified. I didn't know what, who was I going to meet? And they pulled him out of a lesson and uh, put him in a teacher's office. And I had to go and meet him. I thought, what am I going to meet? You know, this, this guy's going to kill me. I get there. And what, well, who do I meet? I just meet a 14-year-old lad sitting there, a bit broken, actually, a bit messed up by life. And we get to know each other. And uh, I get involved in mentoring him and supporting him. He actually gets involved in some youthscape summer camps, gets involved in a, in a church, starts going to a youth group. And I'm telling you this story because if I fast forward three years from that first encounter, one Sunday morning, I'm telling you this because he finds himself out there, okay? You know that bit of ground that's now the car park, There's a bench up there, or at least there was a bench. I think it's gone now. And he's sitting on his own up there at about 7 a.m. one Sunday morning. And he begins to pray. And he has this absolute encounter, this supernatural encounter with Jesus. And he's totally transformed. And he comes to my house a bit later that morning to tell me about it. He he sits on that bench. He's not in the church, by the way. He's slightly beyond your walls. And he meets Jesus. He's not dead. He's sleeping. This is the hope that we bring. And look, by the way, remember how mad this is. Because when Jesus says this, Jesus, let me remind you, this isn't me now or you. When Jesus says it, what's the reaction? People laugh. Because the kingdom is ridiculous. The kingdom doesn't make any sense in this reality. The kingdom is bonkers, but the kingdom is coming. And the kingdom is life and hope. And we're part of it. And it's a hope not just for you and for me, but it's a hope for this town. It's a hope beyond these walls. The kingdom is coming. Last bit, last bit, verse 41. I don't want you to miss this. Because uh, Jesus goes in to where this body is. And do you see what happens? Because it's dynamite. Jesus reaches out and touches the girl. He actually holds the dead body's hand. And this is unbelievably significant. Let me explain why. For religious leaders of the time, Pharisees, rabbis like Jesus, priests, synagogue leaders... There were all kinds of rules and regulations that defined how you should live. And it was all about remaining clean. 
who you could spend time with, what you could eat, what you could do when, how you could live was defined from not only the Old Testament, but a huge number of rules that the Pharisees had added on the end. Right at the top of that list, the greatest thing that you could do, the worst thing that you could do to make yourself unclean, the worst thing was to touch a dead body. As a religious leader, like a Pharisee or rabbi, if you touched, in fact, if you came within the equivalent of two meters of a dead body, this, by the way, is why, well, you would have to go back to the temple in Jerusalem. If you came within two meters or touched a body, you'd have to go to Jerusalem and you would have to take an entire week of cleansing rituals. You would have to sacrifice and you have to make yourself clean. It took a week of your time. That's why in the parable of the Good Samaritan, when the priest goes by this immobile, apparently dead body in Jesus' story, he passes by and it notes it right on the other side. He does that because if he goes even near and the body turns out to be dead, he's got to turn all the way back to Jerusalem and do a week of getting clean again. So there was a real, there was a real challenge about going and touching the dead body. What does Jesus do the moment he gets into that room? What does he do? He touches the body. Why? Because the gospel totally reverses the polarity of the culture. In that culture, the whole thing was, if you go near something unclean, it makes you unclean. That's fundamentally what it was about. So you must abstain from anything that makes you unclean. That's not the gospel. The gospel says if you go out among something that is unclean, you may make it clean. You are good news. You won't be, it won't be affecting you. You will be affecting it. Do you see what I mean? It's totally the opposite way round. In the kingdom, Jesus touches because he's not being made unclean. He's bringing his life, his hope, his, 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 um, his goodness, his new life into this girl's, into this girl's body. The, the, the challenge, I guess, thinking about it is, I think so, I find this as a youth worker. Sometimes people get very nervous about youth work that reaches out to young people who are not yet in the church. Because if we let those young people in, not in the church in... They might make us, they might give us bad examples and they might, it's it's the same thing as though reaching out is going to make us unclean. No, reaching out is how you serve Jesus. Reaching out is how you grow. Reaching out is how you become holy. You don't become holy listening to sermons. You become holy by getting out there and serving Jesus. One night volunteering out in your in this town, serving is going to do more for you growing as a Christian than a hundred hours of sermons. Because that's where you grow, out there. You're not being made unclean. You're bringing God's light and hope and truth, all of that. Uh, It reminds me, my wonderful friend Judy, who helped lead a church in Hightown and sadly died of cancer a couple of years ago. Judy um, was... uh, in Hightown, and in the road where the church was a few years ago, a strip club and pole dancing club opened called the Deja Vu Nightclub. 
And uh, there was lots of outrage, and people obviously didn't want that on the street. And it would have been easy, just 20 doors up in the church, to on a Sunday go, oh, isn't it terrible? It's a sign of the evil of the world. What Judy did was different. You know what she did? She walked down the road, knocked on the door, and got to know the guy who ran the club. She would sit and have coffee with him. And she became not an evil person, but a human being. And she got to know him, and she won his trust, and she shared life, and she shared faith with him. She persuaded him. I love this. She persuaded him to sponsor a church trip for the elderly to Clacton. I mean, what would it have been like to explain to those lovely old ladies that actually a strip club was paying for their trip? But that was Judy, and she's a great loss to the town. And win glory now with the Lord. But that's the heart. That's really what I'm saying. We come to life out there. If you're not serving as a church, you're dying as a church. And then, hey, we're nearly there. The story ends. Jesus is a true youth worker. You can understand he gets, he gets youth workers. The girl is brought back to life. It's a beautiful moment. Immediately, he says, give us something to eat. That's youth ministry. Share the gospel. Have pizza. That is sort of how we roll. So Jesus totally gets that. And this girl comes back to life. And it's just such a beautiful, profound story. But I hope this morning what it's done is just give you a sense of God's heart. That as we come out of the pandemic, God willing. And and as we think about the shape of the church going forward. This isn't mission may this is mission may dot 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 2022 2023 this is the church now let this be who we are that we serve those beyond our walls i take you back to those words of martin luther king that i started with if today's church does not recapture the sacrificial spirit of the early church It will lose its authenticity, forfeit the loyalty of millions, and be dismissed as an irrelevant social club with no meaning for the 20th century. Those words echo around our lives in the church today. Think, as I finish, I think of Marjorie, who is a wonderful old lady in Luton, where we were helping start a youth club a year or two back. And Marjorie is 85 years old. And she wanted to volunteer. She said, look, she lived on her and she's widowed. We were starting a youth club once a week. And Marjorie came and she said, look, I can't do all the games. I can barely get up the stairs. Uh, But you know what? I'm just going to come along each week. I'm going to do something. And faithfully, every week... Marjorie, age 85, shows up and hangs out with those young people. And I tell you what, she has captured something of what it means to follow Jesus that I long for in my own life. Lord, help us coming out of this pandemic to see beyond our walls and the members club that we run and see the community God has given us. Let's pray together, shall we? Father... We thank you for Jairus and his boldness and willingness to forfeit everything for the sake of this girl, his daughter he loved. 
May his example and may this story resonate in our hearts and lives this week. And may it provoke not only our minds and our spirits, but may it provoke us to action. That as a church, we might rise up to love and serve this world as you've called us to do. Lord, we feel intimidated by that. We're scared by that. There are so many reasons that shouldn't work. But yet you call us. So take us, I pray, from this day into something new. In Jesus' name. Amen.